Well, great to see you. Turning your Bibles to Exodus chapter 1. We're continuing, of course, our study of this great book, and it shows God's deliverance of the nation of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. And, of course, the book of Exodus contains, I think, one of the most famous events in history. We see God delivering the nation out of Egypt, people of slaves. They gain deliverance and victory over, at that time, the most powerful army, the most powerful nation in the world, and they don't even lift a finger. We mentioned last time that the Exodus events really is the 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 book actually foreshadows the greatest event of all, and that is God's deliverance of mankind from the bondage of sin just by faith in the Passover Lamb. As the Jewish people put the kill the Passover Lamb, and by faith in the Passover Lamb, they're delivered from bondage in Egypt. We by our faith in our Passover Lamb, Jesus Christ, who died for us, He died and rose again. We're delivered from the bondage of sin. As we continue this evening, I want you to think about it. There's several truths from the first chapter that I want us to look at. The first one is this. We're going to think about the value of human life. Because if you remember when we just read this a while ago, they keep talking about killing these babies, killing all the little boy babies. And so we start thinking, you know, today in our world, there's not a lot of value uh, on human life, especially in the womb. And, and sometimes those are old, those are, that are very old. People begin to look at it and say, well, I mean, how much time do they have left? And how much resources is it going to cost to keep them going? And those kind of things. And so sometimes the value of human life is, 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 we could see it in Exodus that it wasn't very valuable there, especially yeah, for the Hebrew boys. Well, sometimes it's the same today. The second thing is just trusting God in the trials of life. We've got to think about that because the Egypt fears the Jews as so they put them in bondage. And we would say this, why in the world would God put his people in the bondage? Because in a sense, we could say this, what had they done wrong? He told them to go down to Egypt. Joseph did the only thing that God told him to do. Everything God told him to do, he did. The whole family came down there. They trusted God. And so what had they done? Why would they go into bondage? What, What had they done to put themselves in bondage? And we'll look at that and think through that as well. God is in control. He's working his plan. He's the sovereign God. And there's so much as we look through chapter 1, I think that uh, we can make application in our lives. Let's start with a prayer, and then we'll get into the passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great, great night. Thank you for uh, the fun that we have as we come together. Thanks for the great songs and that uh, we could sing, and just wonderful. And, Lord, thank you for the book of Exodus and the truths that are there. And, Lord, as we go through it these next few weeks and, and see these principles and truths and these events and these great stories, and, and, Lord, we realize that you're working all things according to the counsel of your will. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us your written revelation and the things that in the Old Testament were written for our instruction. So may we learn from it. May we see some things that we can apply right now. Lord, teach us now as we study. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. First question is this, how important is a human life? I mean, how important is it? Could you put a price tag tag, uh, on a human? We live in a culture that really doesn't value life. We abort our babies. Uh, We have death with dignity. And that's what we're saying. We want death with dignity. There's all that issues that are coming up about some of the new health care laws and some of the things. Is it going to be where your doctor comes in and says something like, well, based on on what we have on the rules here – we're not going to be able to provide this care for you because it's not worth it. Is that what's going to happen? It's been said that we kill the helpless to help ourselves. Somebody says, I don't want that baby. It'll ruin my life. That older person and the money that it costs to keep them alive. Francis Schaeffer in his book, How Shall We Then Live? He said, this is called the slippery slope. Once we devalue life, it will just keep going. How do you view the unborn or the old? Professor in college, 
in an ethics class, raised a question to his class. He said, okay, I got a, got a question for you, class. He says, this man has syphilis. His wife has tuberculosis. They have four children. One has already died, and three others of the children are terminally ill. The mother is now pregnant. What do you recommend? After much discussion, the class favored to abort the baby. The professor said, well, you've just killed Beethoven. That's his situation. We've seen our world go from abortion to infanticide. 1938 through 45, Hitler wanted to create a super race, so he eliminated the sick, the weak, the retarded, the older, and the despised. Killing the helpless to help ourselves. I read in USA Today, this has been about two years ago, but I read an article that back in the 1970s, before the collapse of the Soviet Union, they found that the female track and field athletes from the Eastern Bloc countries, what they discovered that muscle power increased greatly during the first two to three months of pregnancy. And so they were encouraged to become pregnant, train hard, and then abort the babies, killing the babies to help themselves. How valuable is any human life? This evening we see the same thing happening. They're killing the helpless to help themselves. The rulers and Egyptian, the Egyptian rulers basically are a little bit afraid. They're seeing the population of the Jewish people and they're coming and they're actually afraid that they're going to align with some enemies or something. And so they decide what they'll do is just kill off the male babies because if you kill off the male babies, they can take the, the, the girl babies and they can just intermarry those in with the, with the men and, but just get, uh, you know, with their men. Exodus is the story of bondage and death and pain and sorrow, but we see God as deliverer and Savior. You could almost say that's the story of our lives, isn't it? Pain, death, bondage, sorrow. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And what did God? We see God as what? Deliverer and Savior. That's who He is. As we think about this, uh, we, we, all of us come in this world dead in trespasses and sins, but God in His great love as a deliverer for us, and that is Jesus Christ, our Savior. Last week, what we did is we got the big overview of the book, and you should, I hope you have the, if you picked up the little card when you came in, if you didn't, you can get it when you leave, but on one side, we have the outline of the entire book of Exodus. On the other side, we have information about the author and the date and some of the key things. Just just use as you read through it and as you study it yourself. We said that we're probably not going to do the whole book of Exodus because there's 40 chapters. A lot of it deals with the law and the tabernacle. What we're probably going to do is just get us through about the first 18 chapters, which will get us get the Jewish people out of Egypt. And, and that's really the kind of the, the goal of our study. I guess when we get to chapter 19, if we want to keep going, we, we might. We'll just see what happens there. Uh, as we begin, let me remind you of the key truths that we talked about last week. And here's some key truths from the book. Number one is that God uses people to accomplish his purpose. Remember we said it last week that God takes ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. That's what he does. He takes people. He takes us. He raised up Moses. And if you really looked at Moses... Historically in his life, you might think that when he was born, because what God had basically, his mom and daddy thought, this is, this is the one, but by the time he got 40 and from 40 to 80, you look at his life, he's a shepherd on the backside of the desert, and if you really want to look at it, he hadn't done a whole lot. And you could even say to Moses, Moses, I thought you were supposed to be pretty special. You're 80 years old. It's time to sit down and rest, right? I mean, you've done all you're going to do. And God takes Ordinary people and uses them. And God does that. He does that in our lives. Second is remember that God is the Redeemer. He is. He's the Redeemer. The Passover lamb delivers and redeems the people out of Egypt. God is our Redeemer. He delivers us from the bondage of sin. It's very powerful. The third thing is trust God even in the hard times and the bad times. Uh, when we look at Exodus, you say, 
Why is this happening? And let's think about it. If we were the Jewish people, if we were the descendants, we could say, why is this happening? And you know what amazes me when you study it and God tells Moses to come lead the, lead the nation and go to Pharaoh and he comes to the Jewish leaders and he says, God wants me to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go and they're all for it. He goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go and then Pharaoh makes everything a lot tougher on them. They all come to Moses and say, what a great idea that was. Uh, thanks a lot, Moses. I mean, that's what they say. So we can say, well, God, you have to trust him, even when things aren't going great. And then last but not least, God is a holy God. As people to be holy, one of the things about the book of Exodus, not only as they come out of Egypt, but to build the tabernacle was the place that God would dwell among his people. And we have to be holy people, and that's what he wanted with his people. So we'll see that. Let's think about chapter 1. That's where we are tonight. Let me break down the passage for you just to show you. Verses 1 through 7 gives the background on how the Jewish people, it looks like a Haley's Comet just went across, but anyway, and, and, uh, and the background is how the Jewish people came to Egypt, how they got there, and then a new Pharaoh tries to stop the Jews. We'll see that. It's a, it's a narrative. We'll go through it fairly quickly tonight, and there's a lot there. Let's start first with the background and see what happens. Notice how the book starts. And you remember we said that Exodus is the Greek name of the book, Genesis Exodus, Exodus means the way out, but that's not the name. The Hebrew name is, these are, these are the names. That's how the, that's the name of the book. These are the names because Hebrew books in the Bible begin with the first line. It basically is named after the first line of the book. So what would, uh, the book of Genesis be called in Hebrew? In the beginning. In the beginning. That's right. This is, these are the names. Notice it says, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. They came each one with his household. So they begin to list the names. And notice it says, these are the names of the sons of Israel. Remember that Israel and Jacob are the same person. Jacob means deceiver. Israel means prince of God. God changed Jacob's name. So whenever you say the 12 sons of Jacob, that's the same as saying the 12 sons of Israel or the 12 tribes of Israel. Notice it says, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Now, how did they get there? Let me remind you that Jacob had his 12 sons. His favorite son was Joseph. Joseph was disliked. Well, let's say it the right way. Joseph was hated by his brothers and sold into slavery to Egypt. He was raised up by God during the famine to take a position of leader. Just as, you know, we saw the book of Genesis where Joseph becomes a slave and then becomes in prison and then comes out and becomes number two in Egypt and, and leads, uh, just helps the whole thing. And, and he was there for the famine and the brothers came down and at the time of the famine the entire family came to live in Egypt and they lived in the best place in Egypt. They live in the land of Goshen, which is in the northern part of Egypt. And you could say, wow, the Jewish people have it made. Joseph is a hero. He is. He's a hero in Egypt, and they're all there, and they got anything they want. And he goes ahead and lists some of the people that came down with Jacob. It's Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Ishakar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. You know it's not all are listed because some are already there. Reuben is the firstborn. I've got Levi. You remember him? The priesthood came. Judah is the, the tribe of which the king would come. All of those, they come in there. And just notice the statement in verse 5. All the persons who came from the loins of Jacob were 70 in number. But Joseph, he's just wants us to write us. Joseph was already in Egypt. What were Joseph's two sons called? Ephraim and Manasseh. Okay, so here we got, they're already down there. So here's what you have. You have a family. We always say, nation of Israel, nation of Israel. The nation of Israel left the promised land and came to Egypt. But that's not really true. It was a family. A family left 
the promised land and went down to Egypt. And we talked about it last week when it says here that all the persons who came from the loins of Jacob were 70 and they all came down there. We remember we talked last week that when Jacob got ready to leave the land and God told him to leave the land, but when he got ready to leave the land, he stopped and basically asked God one more time, are you sure I'm supposed to go to Egypt? Because I know that, that this is the land you promised us and Last time, every time we go to Egypt, we get in trouble. So maybe we shouldn't go. God said, no, I want you to go down there because he sent them down there for a reason. So we said at this time, what's amazing, I think the next slide, at this time there are only 70 people. But by the time they leave over four, almost 500 years later, 480 years later, there are over 2 million people that come out. They go down as a family. They come out as a nation. Now, here's the question that we raised over and over, that we already know the answer because we saw it in the book of Genesis, but why would God remove his people from the promised land and take them down to Egypt? And the answers are that, uh, well, there's the question. Why would he do that? The answer is to preserve the nation during the famine because if they'd stayed uh, outside of Egypt, they may have starved to death. They wouldn't be any Jewish people, wouldn't be a Messiah or a Redeemer. Second is to remove them from the evil influence of the Canaanites. While they were living in what we call the promised land and the Canaanites were in the land, they were becoming more and more corrupt. We saw that Judah, the tribe of Judah, was already getting corrupted. God removed them there so that they would not be corrupted. And then finally, to produce a nation of people rather than a family, took them down to Egypt so that they could live and become a great nation. So there's a lot of things there. God is working. Then notice verse 6. Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation you know, we, when we look at the book of Genesis, we said there were four great events, creation, fall, flood, and division. We said there were four great people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And now Joseph has died. Joseph has died. And so we could say they're all gone, and that generation is gone. And so, but the families carry on. Notice Joseph died and all his brothers and all the generation. And realize this great truth that the nation of Israel was not going to stay in Egypt. Why? Why weren't they going to stay in Egypt? They had the promised land. God had told Abraham, God told Abraham that he had given them this land. He told Isaac, given you this land. He told Jacob, I've given you this land forever. So they knew that was their land. Whether they were in the land or not, that was going to be their land. God had even told Abraham all those years earlier, that one day his descendants would be slaves in a land and then he would bring them out with wealth. That was to Abraham and now to Isaac and now to Jacob and now to Joseph and he's dead and now they're going to be there and the promise given to Abraham is going to come true that he would be And we talked about it last week. How in the world can... A people group of slaves, how can they with nothing come out of Egypt wealthy? Because when they left, they asked the Egyptians for all their gold and silver, and the Egyptians gave it to them. And we'll talk more about that when we get to it. It's pretty powerful. I want you to realize that the Jewish people, Joseph, they knew they were not to stay in that land. Look back at Genesis chapter 50. If your Bible's like mine, mine's actually the same page as I'm on now. But Genesis chapter 50, look back at verse 22 and just give you a little history and we'll see what happened. Now, Joseph stayed, this is verse 22 of 50. Now, Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father's family, household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim. Ephraim's sons, I'll go on, and says in verse 24, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. 
But God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promises an oath to who? To Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Joseph said, I'm going to die, but God's going to take you out of here. That's the promise. Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you. You shall carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110 years, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. You remember we talked about this. When Jacob died, Jacob was not a famous man in Egypt. Jacob was just the father of Joseph. When he died, Jacob, Joseph said to Pharaoh, Can I take my father back to the promised land and bury him? And the answer was yes. But when Joseph died, he's famous in Egypt. And they embalmed him and they set him up and they couldn't go take him back and bury him. So Joseph said, he knew that before he died. He said, So one of these days, when we leave, y'all come get my bones and take me out. Why? Why would he do that? Because... Uh, Go to the next slide, I think. Because he said, carry my bones, because he wanted to be resurrected, not in Egypt, but in the promised land. That's what he was really wanting, and that was the truth. And so we'll see how that goes. It was an amazing thing. Now look at verse 7. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. So this is the background on how they're there. They came down at the time of Joseph and Jacob, and they all came down. They came down at 70, and after Joseph died, they began to increase and continue to increase, and they, they were mighty, and the land was filled with them. All that seems good until we get to the next verse. And the next verse says, Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. We're going to see a new Pharaoh. Now listen, I've got a, uh, he, he doesn't know, uh, doesn't know the, the Jewish people. He didn't know Joseph, didn't know any of that. I want to show you this. It was the Hyksos people who came in. I'm going to explain something to you. And they ruled for about 200 years. Now, the next slides I put up, I do not want you to try to write them down at all. Okay? It's just some background for you. Here's what I want you to understand. That after the Jewish people got there and they began to grow, uh, somebody took over. Not this verse yet, but somebody came in, foreigners called the Hyksos, and they came in, they ruled for about 200 years, and they were foreign people. They took over Egypt for a while. Then some Egyptians came back up to power and kicked them out. Now, let me show you something. Don't write this down. But a guy by the name of Atmos came, and in those years, he was the first pharaoh of the 18th dynasty. He expelled the Hyksos and reestablished native Egyptian rule. So after Hyksos came in there, this is while Jews are still there, they ruled for a while, but this guy came back to power and kicked them out. Now, let me show you what happened. Then by the name of Tutmos came in. He was the third pharaoh of the 18th dynasty. He was the one that we're going to see in chapter 1 that wanted to kill the Hebrew babies. Okay? Because he was there. And we'll see why he did this in just a minute. But he began to be afraid of the Jewish people because he thought what was happening is they would align with the Hyksos, come back in and take over. So he was afraid of them. He wanted to kill them off. Then there's this Hasheshput, <coughs> who I can't say it, but anyway... She, listen, she was the daughter of the Pharaoh, who, and she was the one who drew Moses out of the Nile and later became queen. Now, let me tell you about this woman. She was unique. She was a very powerful woman. She ruled co-king, co-Pharaoh. She dressed like a man. She did that on purpose. She was the one that saves Moses' life. She's the one that raised Moses. 
And so she's a very powerful woman. And then at last was Tutmos III, who was the pharaoh of the oppression, who tried to kill Moses, and from whom Moses fled into Midian. Okay? So these are different pharaohs. Is that the last of the slides of that? Okay. Now, so let's go back over here. It says, there is a new king who rose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now, I want you to understand. Look at the next slide. Oh, wait. There was the last slide. There is the one more guy. This is the guy that was actually the pharaoh of the plagues. So the one that t- tried to kill Moses, and Moses was gone for 40 years. So this guy died off. When Moses come back, this guy is the is the pharaoh that we believe. Now, nobody knows exactly for sure that most historians look through this, try to figure it out. They believe this was the pharaoh of the plagues and the exodus. So there's a bunch of them there. Now, when... When it says a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph, here's what they were afraid of. They were afraid because the Hyksos were foreign people and had come in and they finally ran them out. They were afraid that this, they saw the Jews as foreign people. They were afraid that they would align with the Hyksos and maybe come back in and rule, try to rule again. So notice what the verse says. It says, Now a new king rose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to the people, Behold, to the people of the sons of Israel are more mighty, mightier than, more and mightier than we are. Come, let's deal with them, or else they will multiply, and in the event of war, they will join themselves to those who hate us, Hyksos, and fight against us and depart from the land. So here's what he decided to do. Leave that, uh, go back, if you would, go back. He decided, we're going to see that there's a twofold thing. He first began with oppression. His plan was to oppress the Jewish people, and then later it was to kill them. And we'll see that as we go through. Let's look first at oppression, okay? Look at verse 11. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor. And they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Pithon and Ramesses. So the oppression came. They afflicted them. They made them slaves. They put them into slavery. They made them build the buildings. They made them do all of these things. Now, if you remember, all the way back, and don't turn there, but in Genesis 15, that's where God told Abram that his people would be slaves in a foreign land and he would then bring them out. They've now become slaves there. Now, I've, I've, I've got a question that we'll raise in just a minute. And this is what I want you to think about. Why would God let his people become slaves? Why? Notice, we'll see in just a second. Look at this contrast in verse 12. The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread out, so they were in dread of the sons of Israel. I mean, they thought they were going to stop them somehow by putting them into slave labor, but it didn't work. I mean, they're all slaves, but there's more and more and more and more. God blesses his people even in slavery. God blesses us even in hard times. Sometimes we'd say, this is not fair. We haven't done anything wrong while we're slaves. Sometimes in our lives we'd say, why is this going on? I haven't done, best I know I haven't done anything wrong. Why is this happening to me? Because God is working all things. Look what happened. Look at verses 13 and 14. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor and mortar and bricks and all kind of labor in the fields and all their labors which they rigorously imposed on them. The word labor in Hebrew has an idea of labor to exhaustion. We've all seen the movies. You don't think about it and, you know, you see the slavery and they're making them build the, the cities and the things and, it, and they're just slaves and, and it was just a horrible time. Now, here's the question. Why would God 
allow the nation of Israel to become slaves. Now, before they were slaves, where did they live? They lived in Goshen, in the best part of Egypt. How were they treated? They were treated like what? Almost like royalty, because Joseph was number two behind Pharaoh, and then these are Joseph's family. These are Joseph's descendants, and Joseph is a hero, and they said, y'all live anywhere you want to live. Your people can be in responsibility. Whatever you want is for you, because what Joseph has done for us. Now, if you're in that situation, you're going to ever want to go back to the promised land? Why would you ever want to go back? You got it made in Egypt. You're, you got it made. You got the best land in Egypt. You've got everything. You could say, why will I ever leave? Well, think about this. If things had stayed the same, they would not have wanted to return to the promised land. Why did God allow his people to go into slavery? So that they would want to leave. I mean, think about it. You remember when the Jewish people were taken off into captivity? Uh, in, in 585 B.C. under the Babylonians, and they were there for 70 years, and at the end of 70 years, they had now been pulled into Babylon, and they had homes, and they had families, and they had lives. Even though they were in slaves, uh, control, being controlled by the Babylonians, they still lived there. And when the medial Persians came in, and the Persians said, you may go back, a small percentage went back. Most of them didn't want to leave. Why? They all had homes, they all had land, they all had farms. They said, it's a lot harder to go back to a land that we don't even know what it's like back there. In fact, if we go back there, we'll have to fight people to get our land back. We don't want to go. And so if if everything stayed great in Egypt, would they have ever wanted to go back to the promised land? Probably not. So all, all was good in Egypt, but God said, no, 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 this is the land I promise you. Now, if you ask them as slaves, would you like to go back? The answer is, we don't want to stay in Egypt. We'd like to get out of here as quickly as we can. At least, that's what we thought they would. But you know, if you remember that our minds get messed up, don't they? What, what did the Jewish people say after they got out of Egypt and they, they're, now they're out uh, and they're running, they're getting out and Egyptians are coming after them? What did they say to Moses? You should have just left us there. We were having a great time. Yeah, you were having a great time. Yeah. And then they get on the other side, part into the Red Sea, get on the other side. Moses sings a song. They're over there. All of a sudden, there's not water. All of a sudden, what do they say? We should have stayed in Egypt because it was better there. We, we forget, don't we? And so he, he got them out. Uh, you know, the Jews became slaves. It's always sad when people are made slaves. I read something the other day I thought was pretty interesting. In 1825, Peru won its independence from Spain. Do you know who the man who led the way? Simon Bolivar. Remember? So he's kind of famous. He, he, was, he drafted the Constitution. They wanted to make him president. He declined. They wanted to do something for him, so they gave him one million pesos. This is in... 1825. You think that was a lot of money? It was. So Simon Bolivar said this. How many slaves are in Peru? And they discovered there were around 3,000 slaves. And so he said, how much does it cost to buy a slave? And they told him, and he took all the money that they gave him, and he purchased the freedom of all the slaves. And he said this. He says, it makes no sense to have a free nation unless all the citizens are free. He did that, Simone Bolivar. None of them made it. You're exactly right. 
Because they didn't trust God to get them to the promised land. They were all saved, but they didn't trust him to get into the land. You're exactly right. And part of the whole grumbling thing was that when it was time to go into the land, it was it was an 11-day journey from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea. It's an 11-day trip from the law, from getting the Mosaic law to getting to the promised land. They made that 11-day trip. They started Kadesh, stopped at Kadesh Barnea, and they were supposed to go into the land. And you remember what happened? They sent spies in, came back, and they said, I don't think we can make it. Two of them said we can make it. Two of them said we can't make it. So then they all cried and got all messed up. And God said, okay, if you're not going to go in, you're not going to go in. But this generation that won't go in, that won't trust me, You'll all die. You'll wander around. It took 40 days to spy out the land. You'll wander for every, for every day you look at the land. You'll have a year. And they wandered for 40 years until that entire generation of people died because they didn't trust God to get into the land. 20 years old and up died. Everything else made it. They were so, if they said stuff like, we can't go into the land because they'll kill our children. And God said, no, your children are going to go in, but you're not. And that's exactly what happened. So, good point. Yes. Let me, let me, I'll answer that. Okay, she said, why do you, that's probably one of the hardest questions ever. Why would God allow the Holocaust and the atrocities? Here, here's what I think. Now, this is just looking at it from a historical view. If you, and I'm going to stop for a second to do this. If you remember from about 1890 on, a guy by the name of Theodore Herzl was a Jewish man, and he wanted a homeland for Israel. They did not have a homeland. And it became known as Zionism. Theodore Herzl said, we got to have it. Great Britain, right, as they got in, got before World War One, Great Britain said, we're going to, we're going, they wrote a thing called the White Papers, which said, we will establish a land for the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. Everything was going fine until World War I happened. And World War I happened, everything got stopped, and at the end of World War I, nothing changed. And all the way from basically World War I to World War II, the Jewish people kept coming back, and the, the, Great Britain said, we've canceled the white papers, we're not going to do it. And so it's like, what? And so it began to be issues that Jewish people wanted a homeland. It became known as Zionism. And then nobody really listened. And what happened in World War II? Six million Jews were killed. And at the end of the Holocaust, at the end of the war, people said, we cannot overlook this. Too much happened to the Jewish people. We have to give them a land I think part of the Holocaust caused the rest of the world to wake up and help make sure Israel could get a land. I think similar to it. Yeah, well, he made the whole world uncomfortable, not just the Jews there, because they wanted to go back to their land. But the world, you know, let's face it, whoever's got power decides who lives where. I mean, just look what happened after World War II. The, people, the, the victors divided up the lands. Czechoslovakia, those three different people groups we're going to put in one group. We're going to take Germany and divide it down the middle. We're going to have East Germany, West Germany. Who decide that? German people didn't want that. I mean, think about it. So anyway, that's a possibility of that. I think maybe I better finish this. I know we'll go I'd like to finish the chapter. Okay, but anyway, so... We, they've become slaves. Now remember, at first it was oppression, 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 and now it's gonna move 
to murder. Look what happens, verse 15. Then the king of, uh, of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shirah and the other's name was Puah. And he said, when you're helping the Hebrew women to give birth and, and you see them upon the birth stool, if it's a son, then you shall put him to death. If it's a daughter, you shall live. Now see, the midwives were there to help people when they when women gave birth and there were two named Shipra and Puah and they were supposed to help he said when you see them on the birth stool the birth stool best we can understand is that in that day and time the women stood on two rocks and crouched and delivered the babies and the midwives were there to help catch the babies and to be there and and what he says is when you're to help those Jewish women and when the baby comes out if it's a boy baby you kill it if it's a girl baby you let it live that's the plan and so the Egyptians uh, if you notice it said uh, uh, put him to death, the end of verse 16, then verse 17, but the midwives feared God. You know, if you're a midwife, do you like babies or not like babies? You love them. Why are you doing it, right? You think they want to kill any baby? They feared God. They said it would be wrong to do what? To kill a baby just because he's a boy baby. It's just wrong. And so they feared God because they knew what was right. And the midwives feared God and they didn't do as the king of Egypt commanded them. And they let the boys live. And the king of Egypt called in these midwives and said, why have you done this and let the boys live? How are you going to answer that? They, well, they lied. And they lied for a good reason. Let me ask you something. If the, if the Germans came into your house and you got Jewish people in the closet hidden and they said, you got any Jewish people, are you going to say, well, sure, I got them right here? No, you're going to say... Jewish people, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't know any Jewish people. Right? Because you're going to lie to save a life, right? And so the, the king of Egypt called in the midwives and said, Why have you done this? Let the boys live. And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Well, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They're vigorous and they give birth before the midwives get to them. They said, By the time we get there, the baby's already born. Which may in some cases have been true and not true in others. They just said, we keep, You know, we're not there. So God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied and became very mighty. And watch this. Because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. He literally gave them their own children. That was so great. He took care of them. And he gave them their own babies. Now watch this. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, Every son who is born, you're to cast into the Nile. Every daughter, you're to keep alive. And when it says all his people, he, he's talking, he's saying, in this nation, any Jewish boy that is born, he's to be cast into the Nile River. Now in chapter 2, who's born? Did they throw him in the Nile River? Did they throw him in the Nile River? They sure do. She does the letter of the law. She said, well, he says put him in the Nile River, so I'm going to get a little basket. And I'm going to put him in the Nile River. Because they kept him for three months and tried to hide him, but they couldn't hide him very long. And so they, she said, I have to do, I have to, I'm not killing my son, but I am going to fulfill the letter of the law. I'll put him in the Nile and we'll see what happens. You know, if we, when we stop at the end of chapter one, we'd say, this is terrible. This is terrible. Why didn't God do something about this? Look at the end of chapter two. Look at verse 24 and 25 of chapter 2. So God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel and took notice of them. Does God always know what's going on? Is God ever asleep? Does God ever miss a call? Is God ever too busy to see you? Can you talk to him anytime, anyplace, anywhere about anything? There's never a wait. You can always see him. God remembered the covenant. What's the covenant? 
they're going to have a land, seed, and blessing. That's their land, and they're going to be there. That was the promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Sometimes we forget that God knows what we're going through. I mean, sometimes we think nobody knows. Well, the truth is this. None of us may know what you're going through, but God knows. And the truth is, no matter how close we are with people, nobody can ever completely know our joy, and nobody can completely know our sorrow. The only one that can is God. He knows everything. God knows what's going on. It's powerful. What have we seen? We've seen at the time of Joseph, the Jews came to Egypt, and after the death, a new king came to power that feared the Jews. They, they put them into slavery and oppression and murder, put all the boys, uh, boys to death, kept, let the girls live, but God knows what's going on and he's working. So let me give you some applications real quickly. The first one is realize that all people are valuable made in the image of God. Our country doesn't believe that. I think majority of people in our country do believe that. Not not the country as a whole, not the laws that we have, but majority of people would say that lives are valuable. What's happening as time goes by is that lives are getting less valuable. We're going to see a time if all of the debt and all of the health care and all of the costs continue to go, that when people get older, people are going to begin to say, we just don't have the money to keep these people alive. That's coming. You say, I don't think that's going to come. There was a time that nobody would think they'd kill babies. There is a procedure where you pull part of that baby out, stick something in that head, and suck that brain out and pull him out. And, and people say, no, there's no such They would never do that. They do that. If you think it's not coming, it's probably coming. We live in a fallen world. Realize that every human being is valuable. It doesn't matter what they can contribute to our society or not. Every human being is valuable. Boy, it just... They're made in the image of God. The midwives, they feared God. They, they said it's wrong. We're not killing a baby. Realize how valuable you are. Nobody like you. Nobody will ever be like you. Never been another one like you. Never will be another one like you. Thank the Lord. But that's the way it is. It's true. Okay? <laughs> Second. Uh, see how slow you were to get that? It took a while to get that one, see? That. Trust God in the trials and situations of life. We have to do it. The Jews are in slavery, and, and, and if you look at it as we start getting into this thing, they say, what's going to happen to us? This is horrible. What's going to happen to us? It's getting worse and worse and worse. All the time God is working. All the time. May not realize it, but this little baby that got thrown in the Nile is going to be the deliverer. And guess what? It's 80 years after he's born before God delivers the people. We could say, I don't, couldn't you have heard it up just a little bit? God says, my timing is perfect. The third thing is, just remember, Jesus Christ is the one who delivers us from the bondage of sin. Just like Moses was the deliverer, so to speak, and the Passover lamb was the deliverer in a sense, and God delivered the nation of Israel out of Egypt, God also has a deliverer for us, and that is Jesus Christ. And he died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again, and gives eternal life, delivers us from the bondage of sin, gives us life as the Passover lamb. So may we trust God in the situations of life, proclaiming how valuable every human being is, 
And remember that by faith in Jesus Christ, we're delivered from the bondage of sin and giving eternal life as a gift. Let's pray. If you've got questions or comments, we'll do it. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you, Lord, for these truths that we see as we look at the book of Exodus and we realize just how valuable every human being is. May we, may we love them all, Lord. May we love everybody and reach out to them and realize that they're made in your image. And Lord, may we trust you as the events of life go. Some things are so, some things are so good and some things are so bad. And yet we have to trust you because you're working in all the things. You work together, all things together for good. Those that love you, those that are called according to your purpose. And so Lord, we just have to trust you. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ and the deliverance. And as we look at Exodus and see how you delivered your people from the bondage of Egypt, thank you, Lord, that you used Jesus Christ to deliver us from the bondage of sin. Thank you for salvation found in no other except Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, questions, comments, anything? Yeah, JJ. Yeah. Susie, we've got a couple of rocks here which you could stand on and do that if you want. Okay, her back, sorry. JJ, would you like to come up and demonstrate what the, uh, what the midwives were supposed to do? <laughs> uh, uh, maybe there should be no more questions. I don't know. Okay, yeah, Stephen. Okay. Established, uh, he established their households or something? Literally, it means he gave them children. He gave them children. He gave them offspring. Yeah. It was like he said, because you know, in, in, in that culture and in cultures, in fact, in most cultures, it, uh, for a woman not to have a child is sort of like, well, sorry. And, and, uh, for them to have children was a sign of blessing from God. And so he's saying, because they protected the lives of these little, of these Jewish boys, God gave them children, blessed them. That's what he's saying, I think. What else? Anything else? Okay, well, we're through. Um, we're going to continue. If you get a chance, now, do like we've been doing the Gospel of John. Go ahead and read some in Exodus, too, because Exodus chapter 2 is, of course, the story of Moses being born. And, uh, you know, it's, it's some tremendous stuff there. I'm going to take you some other places and show you Moses' life because he had four, uh, excuse me, three time periods of his life. His first 40 years, he was in, in Egypt. His next 40 years, he was in the, de- in the back side of the desert. And his final 40 years, he took the nation of Israel out, led them in the wandering in the wilderness, and then died before they went in the promised land. So he lived 120 years, 40, 40, 40. Pretty amazing stuff. Okay, thanks. Thanks for coming.